All right, we are back with the podcast. My name is Jake, and I am here with one of my favorite dudes. Oh, thanks, man. This is Will. He is the fan of all things Taylor Swift. Come on. The Dead Theologians, uh, and he is our church planning Plasherville pastor. Say what's up, Will. Dude, what's going on, Jake? You know, I lo- that may have been the best introduction I have had in a you while. You want to know how I think of these? How is that? I wake up, and I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And then I roll over and I write it down and then I go back to sleep. Seriously, uh, I don't. So great. Yeah, I don't even brainstorm. You know, maybe them. David would have given me the same love if he would have taken that approach as well. You know what? It's okay. I'll have one for David when he comes back as well. Beautiful. I just gotta just make sure you somewhere. talk about the shorts and hoodie of David. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's good. Well, this is not a podcast about introductions or David Crawl. This is a podcast, though, that is considered the text lab here at Vintage Grace. And for our listeners who don't know, here we are every single week. We do a deep dive into the text to help you prepare for your life group this week. Our goal is super simple. It's to help you be a disciple who makes disciples. So whether you're leading a life group or just trying to do some deep diving on your, on your own, we hope the text lab helps you have a meaningful study, reflection, and conversations about what God has said in his word. Will, you want to take us through Romans 6, 1 to 4? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Oh man, that is so good. These four verses carry so much weight. I love that. And I think in order for us to really fully exegete this text, I want to spend time going through this structure of going through their town, then the author's intent, gospel implications, and then finally landing in our town. So where we're going to start is we're going to be starting in their town. We're answering this question of what was happening in their city and their context. And last week we shared some more about Paul. We shared some more about Rome. But this week I was spending some time in Philippians and I thought this would be a great space um, just to talk about who Paul was. It's in Philippians 3. He uh, kind of starts by saying, not starts, but um, gives some information about him concerning pride and about who he is uh, for the sake of Christ. He says, uh, I have more reason to boast in, in verse five. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day. He's of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so this just helps us understand the author. Right, And this is where the letter is coming from. This is Paul. This is who he is. He's talking about who he was before Christ and how he is now counting it all as loss with special emphasis on that a persecutor of the church. Man, that is so interesting to think about his complete flip, the paradoxical nature that Jesus does on that road to Damascus with him. Uh, from here, it's important to understand for us that Paul is writing to Rome, and it's a place that he has never been to before, and he's writing to people that he has not personally met yet. But it helps us to understand more of why this epistle is so foundational in his theological, in the theological nature that it is. 
So from here, I want to transition into author's intent. And Will, maybe you could start taking us through this this question of what is the author trying to actually explain to his Jewish and Christian um, and uh, audience here? Yeah, and I love Jake, like how how I am able to just piggyback off of what you just said because the reality is, is Paul did not know his audience, yeah. which is crazy to just think about like for a second, Paul writing this pastoral letter, this theological treaty to these people so that they would have a better understanding. So he's kind of like hearing things that are going on, but the reality mm. is, is like, he does not have that depth with them yet. Um, and so like, basically like the full argument has been laid out in the first five chapters, right. Of like, I mean, even Jake, and Jason, Jake, you and Jason uh, talked about the topic of amazing grace and like how incredible it was that like dying for your enemies, it's not just dying for people whom like are righteous as you see earlier in this text, like who are good. Right. But it's people like dying for your enemies. Right. And like in this Roman flow where you start this idea of like, okay, the total depravity, like there's no excuse, but all are guilty because not only like is sin nature passed down from Adam, also, we ourselves love sin, mm. right? We love it. So don't just blame Adam, blame yourself, right? Yeah. It's basically what yeah. Paul's saying. Yeah. He's like, you have no excuse. And then that leads us to our, our comment, but God, right? He makes a way through Christ Jesus. And now we are justified um, when we trust and treasure Jesus. And, and now we get to this place where it's like, okay, people have yeah. had this understanding with Jesus. Cause even like the language that Paul's using here is like, haven't you been baptized into this faith? Yeah. He, he's using that word. It's like, okay, dude, you have, you have identified yourself with Christ Jesus. You have made this profession of faith and like coming out of that profession of faith, you have actually gone into the water and like come out of the water here. And so what Paul is getting at is like, he's saying, okay, like you're identifying yourself as someone who has been with Jesus. That does not mean you love your sin. Yeah. Like he's saying like, in fact, he, the, the word they, their ume is basically saying like, by no means as loud as you could possibly say it. Yeah. He's saying like, like, I think of it this way. Like whenever my, whenever my girls are playing in our driveway, uh -huh. okay. And if one tries to like run out into the middle of the street and there's a car that's going by, I'm saying, no, Charlie, stop. Ume, like, man. Ume, exactly. Yeah. That's the, that's the idea that we see here of Paul saying like, like the, the kids running out into the street. Oh yeah, I'll be fine. I'm just going to get my ball. It's occasional, like, man. It's occasional. I <laughs> listen, the more I sin, bro, the more I get more of Jesus. And yeah. it's like, but no, like by no means, like absolutely not. And so Paul is making it as clear as possible. And then we start to like dive into like, now he goes, how can we keep sinning if we've died with Christ and their share in his resurrection and freedom from sin, which is this beautiful theological concept of saying like, oh, the Christian life, and we're going to get to it later on. The Christian life often looks more like repentance than anything else. Mm. We're turning from our sin willingly now because we're saying like, okay, I don't love the things that I used to love because yeah. that used to be my utmost joy, but now I've got something greater, which is joy in Jesus. And that's the difference. It's important to remember the entire flow of the argument this far because ultimately all of that is leading up to this moment and it's going to continue to carry on so so coming out of that what are some gospel implications that you're taking jake here 
Yeah. So I think where we're sitting is we're answering this question. What does this tell us about who God is? How does this point us to Christ? And this is all about Christ. And I think one of the main things that has been sticking out to me as we're reading through just these four verses is just this mystery of being born again. And I love sometimes the word mystery can be a little confusing or maybe have the wrong connotation. Mystery does not mean that we don't know anything about this, but it may it might mean for God that we don't know somatically or fully this truth, but it's been revealed. It's been revealed to us by God. And so this mystery of being born again reminds me of the story with Nicodemus. Um, And I don't know if you guys have been watching The Chosen. I watched some of The Chosen and it helped um, just kind of me as a guy. I love to visualize some stories, carry these stories in my head. Uh, And seeing this story in The Chosen was really impactful for me because I get to see Nicodemus ask this question that I so often ask. like, what do you mean we're born again? Mm. Like, how? I'm like stuck there. How can I be born again? And the question is like, do we, can we give birth to ourselves? That's the analogy that, that Christ is trying to give us that Paul is then calling back to, to Jesus giving us. And the truth is we don't give birth to ourselves. Like we need mom to do that. And ultimately we need God to do that. And so there's something happening here that relates back to us being completely desperate and dependent for God to do a work in our hearts that we simply cannot do. And so we're sitting here, we're saying, God, would you renew my heart? Would you provide the affections in my heart that I need to have more joy in you? Because I can't do it. Like, uh, seriously, I, I'm stuck in my sin. I am fully and completely corrupt in my soul and in my flesh and in my, in my, in my body and in my mind. I need you upon a cross. That's truly that desperate and dependent nature. And maybe it will, it could be helpful maybe for some of our audience as we step into life groups to mm-hmm. kind of understand more of what baptism is and maybe the typology of how it comes back to circumcision um, and what baptism means, especially in, in this in this context. Yeah, and so it's an identification marker, right? So it's actually kind of really neat how you follow this up after like saying, okay, we don't do I love how Jonathan Edwards puts it. He says, this is dead theologian. You're welcome. Come on. But Taylor Swift is next. The only, yeah. yeah, Taylor Swift is next. <laughs> but um, the only thing that you bring to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary to be saved, which is a bar. And bar. so think about it like, think about it like whenever you're having the conversation um, about circumcision and baptism, circumcision is something that you're not doing you're not doing or have not done to identify yourself Mm. as the people of God. Baptism is this outward expression that's taking place of the inward work that Christ Jesus has done. It's this, it's this, um, new sacrament that we have that says, okay, I believe in Jesus. Baptism does not save us, Uh but what baptism in the same way that, um, circumcision does not save, but what right. it is, it's an, it's a marker of identification to say, this is who I am. The old life is put to death, the new life. And I have been, I've been adopted as a son and a daughter of God. I have been redeemed. I have been saved. I've been transformed from this life that I used to live into this newness of life. And now my identity is no longer primary in the former joys mm the lesser joys that I had previously, but now fully in Christ as an identity marker. And and again, baptism does not save you, but it's just to say, okay, this is who I identify most deeply with. I Mm. love how Drew uses the Jersey analogies often where he's saying, Hey, it's not about the name on the back of the Jersey anymore. It's saying like, this is my team. I'm put as we are baptized, like we are putting on this Jersey of the Christian faith. If you want to get 
real spiritual, you can go into like the purple robe that Jesus has, like as yeah. like royalty. Like this is who we are. Like we have put on this new. We've taken off the robe of unrighteousness. This like dirty rags. It's talking about a rags to riches story. Here we go. Um, <laughs> but when we're talking about like we're talking about like our old life is now put to death, and now we get to walk in the newness of Christ. That yeah. everything changes about us because of our identity our in the same way that the yeah. Old Testament, the Jews were marked by circumcision. The New Testament, the followers of Jesus are marked by his death and resurrection. And that plays itself out in baptism. Yeah. And that word identity is so massive as we look at our town, because that's the truth about what we're facing now here in Eldorado Hills, Placerville, Folsom. Like yeah. we as people have an identity change. We are, uh, saying, no, my identity is no longer in, in the joy that I was seeking there in the world. My joy is now found in, in Christ alone. And I love that. I don't know. Is this Drew? Is this someone else? Maybe a dead theologian. You can help me out. But saints who struggle with <laughs> yes. sin, that line yeah. really sticks with me mm-hmm. because truly we are identified as saints, Yep. but we still have this weird, um, imbalance of like, no, my flesh yeah. is still loving sin, but my soul is now loving Christ. Mm. And so we're fighting this war against yeah. sin. So our identity has shifted. But what I want to get into as well also is like practically, how do we help our people in our life groups as life group leaders construct a daily rhythm of this desperate dependence? Yes. That's, that's really what so we're good. trying to get through. Um, so throughout each day, Will, what do you think this, this looks like as we sit as yeah. life group leaders, as we're sitting in this group, how do we help our people um, understand this more? Well, I think it's like everything that we talk about, right? It's like, okay, yes, it starts with us. Like it starts with us being the chief repenters for our life group. It starts with us saying like, I need more of Jesus today than I did yesterday. It starts with us saying like, okay, like spirit, I need you. I'm, I, by the time you hear this, it'll be after I preach. So this is helpful. (laughs) Um, but I'm going to use this analogy and I use this analogy where I'm saying like, okay, what we are, if you think about the, have you ever seen like a blow up, um, like for Christmas time, they have the blow up like things, um, the Rudolph and like the snowman frosty and all of them. Right. Um, but have you ever seen one that's not plugged in? Mm-hmm. They're just flatlined, laying on the ground. And what happens when you plug it in? It lights up. Mm. Right. And so, so it's this picture of like the spirits work in us. What the spirit does when we are identified with Christ is it breathes new life into our life. And so we have the spirit that allows us to be completely blown up in the person that God has created us to be. And so we have this new, like refreshing that saying like, okay, give me more of Jesus. And so when we talk about this, when we say like self feeders, it's realizing, okay, Jesus, I love you. Help me get more of you. Help me completely live my life centered around you. This is another theological term that I'm going to dive into a little bit is like the Karam Deo, right? Which is this Latin word that means living one's entire life in the presence of God. Mm. So it's saying that it's not just about you coming to church on Sunday to check a box. It's not coming to life group to check a box saying, no, how do I live my entire life as someone who lives to glorify God and living in his presence time and time again? So that as we're, as I drive down from Placerville to EDH, how am I getting like 
this idea of like being with the presence of Jesus. Mm. Like whenever you have the difficult conversation at work this week, do we realize that the Quran Deo says that Jesus is present with us in that moment, right. not just in the good times. And so it's framing for our people like this daily living with Jesus. They would say, okay, I surrender Jesus. I need more of you. I did not bring you glory in this moment because I chose the lesser joy there, but like, I want to find more joy in you. What are some other ways you, you talked about like, okay, Sabbathing, like spiritual yeah. rhythms, daily oh office, right? Like all of these things, Jake, where I'm like, oh yes, you're speaking my love language right yeah, now. Come on. Well, Jason was here last week and he is yeah. the, the spiritual guru uh, of this stuff. <laughs> Just giving books upon books to me on this <laughs> space. Yeah. Um, and just for me personally sitting here, I'm like, dude, Sabbath tomorrow. Oh yeah. man, I'm so ready for it. Yeah. You know, like my soul is hungry for it, but it's a day that's carved out just to keep it holy to God, to remember mm. what he's done, to pray and yeah. to play, to sit with him and recharge and be, and plug back in. Like you were saying like that, um, inflatable for Christmas to yeah. plug back in. But also it's, it's also this, uh, combination of what you're saying, which is like, I'm not just going to have Sabbath be my time with God. I want to have every single day be my time with God yep. and have those little, this is a David crawl eology thing, <laughs> but like have a mini Sabbath every day mm, yep. and, and plug in and, and have a different. So like for me, I love to have daily office. Mm-hmm. I love to have the nine thirty eight alarms. These yeah. are just things that help me particularly to plug back into Christ, to remember that his presence is here now in every second and every breath. And a good reminder for our people as life yeah. completers is we will never, Jason said this to me last week, and like just a, a, a good, like refreshing reminder for as I'm leading people and as our people are leading people of like, you can never take people as deep, like deeper than where you've been yourself. Right. And so how do we prepare ourselves for life group this week as people who've just sat with Jesus right. more so than just trying to give them answers, but people who like give them the answer himself, mm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like it's not about getting a lot of information if we're going to devoid that from the presence of God. Yeah. And I know one thing we talk about along those lines is like the difference between us being life group leaders as teachers or being pastors. And really we're trying to be shepherds. We're trying to be yeah. pastors here. We're trying to not give them the answer, but sit there in the question with them. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. Help them to be self feeders and, and be there in the cancer diagnosis yeah. and be there in the, in the death and all of it well, and in the celebrations as well. Exactly. And like along those lines, Jake too, I think that like when we talk about one of our core components is like at vintage is we are going to sit in and we're going to dwell in embracing inevitable tensions. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Embracing inevitable tensions is not having an answer for everything, but it's saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this, what I'm feeling, this tension that I'm feeling. It's saying, okay, you are enough more than finding the answer Mm -hmm. because ultimately you're who we need. Like I time and time again, where I'm just reminded of being like, okay, how do I realize like, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, build it Mm. in vain. Like, okay, Jesus, like you do this, you build our life group, you build the church plant, you build even my like refreshing nature of like wanting to come back to Jesus. Oftentimes I think we think of the Christian faith is like work harder. Um, and oftentimes it's be more present instead it's saying, okay, instead of like trying to work harder to, um, be better for Jesus, how do I just carve out time in my 
day where I can just be, be with Jesus, where I'm not trying to accomplish. I can sit and just be in, in like rhythm with him. I have this analogy that oftentimes, um, the spirit reminds me of when I think about this concept where it's like, okay, whenever I'm trying to do stuff, I'm in a, I'm in a garden, whenever I'm trying to do stuff, the weeds grow way higher. Right. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, oh gosh, I, there's not enough for me to handle. Right. When I like picture myself, I don't look at Jesus's face, but when I picture myself sitting down and like resting upon who Jesus is, I just see him completely tend to the garden in mm-hmm. ways that I could never tend to. And that's just the reminder. Okay. Yes. It's not to diminish the work because God right. calls us to the work. It is to highlight Jesus's work in our life more than anything else. Luther has this great quote, dead theologian, um, part three, part three, dude. <laughs> he has this great quote where he says, man, I have so much stuff to do today. I better spend three hours in prayer. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And it's just this reminder for us of being like, unless yeah. we're getting into the presence of God, it means nothing. And so how do we just go about doing that? Even like today, if you, if we really want to fight sin, like this text talks about, it needs to be Jesus fighting that sin for us. It's really good. And so from here, we'd love to just give you guys three practical questions you can ask that can help have this conversation that will. And I really just had about this text. And so the first one here is, uh, when have you felt the most desperate and dependent upon God? And and you can give context here. Like, man, for me, it's a day of the week. Wednesday, yeah. man, I am desperate and dependent, <laughs> um, trying not to... Uh, yell at kids and uh, trying to clean up and trying to stack chairs for a youth group. That is my day when I really feel the most desperate dependent, but yeah. really what we're trying to do is live a life full of desperate dependency and acknowledging it. Uh, Will, you want to take us to the second one? Yeah. What does it mean for you to walk in the newness of life, to be a new creation? I think that oftentimes we have this idea of newness of life of just doing better or like, or Hey, I just need to stop doing bad things when yeah. oftentimes we're, we're talking about the affections there. And so I would love along those lines, newness of life. What are some new affections that mm. you have that have helped you walk in the newness of life? The things that you love now that you used to not love. Um, I would just love for you to answer that question this week. Yeah. And let that lead to praise and worship as well. Um, The final question we have here is, how does this mystery of newness of life, as we're talking about, affect the way we engage with our Pray Watch friends and with our ones, the people that we are praying for, the people that we're going to the gym with, going to school with, working alongside? How does this affect that? And really, I think it's a lot of joy, joy leading to that missional stuff. So whether you are working out at the gym, you're cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, driving in the car, or whatever you like to do while listening to the podcast, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you and know that you are the one who is sent by God this week to your family, your school, your work, your coffee shop, to the gym, and to soccer practice, wherever your Pray Watch community might be, and whatever God invites you to go, where you are sent to be the living proof of our loving God. Yeah, we love you all, and we'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.